Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Last Sunday I spoke to you about how hostile the world that we're living in really has turned toward anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. The word of God seems to be devalued in the minds and the hearts of men and women. Um, while that has been true for generations, if not centuries, in other countries, we have found ourselves in America somewhat seemingly protected or in a bubble against those things. However, the climate of many things have changed and we find ourselves facing some of the very situations that others have faced for centuries. But I believe that God has blessed the church and anointed the church as always to not only preserve us in seasons as such, but I believe that God gives us the gifts that we need for such times. He doesn't call us to something and then not equip us for that. And so how we must act in our faith and how we must operate in the gifts that God has given us, despite, I believe, the measure of disdain we see in our, in our country and in our world, I believe that God can bless us. I'm going to reach back from time to time and talk about a few things that I mentioned last Sunday. Um, I'm sure all of you remember every one of those points that I made last Sunday, and so you'll recognize them when I get there. The book of Daniel chapter 2 uh, in verse number 13, we're going to pick up in the middle of a story. Daniel 2 and 13, the Bible says, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered, and I want to I pause here and kind of underline this, and we'll come back to this in just a moment. Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. We need to understand, as we will, as the story unfolds, that we, because we just are just kind of diving into a story at the midpoint, but Daniel is and his fellows are being faced with death. And so this is not a casual conversation that he's having with a man by the name of Arioch. And so, but the Bible says that Daniel, even in this atmosphere, answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, of which Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be a part of. He answered and said unto Ariot, the king's captain, why is the decree so hastily from the king? Then Ariot made the thing known to Daniel. Now, I want you to, I'm sorry to pause here, but I, we must get the story. Here's a man that was sent to just simply kill Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all of the seers of that day, all, all of the people that were held captive. But when he came to kill them, Daniel asked, why? Why is the decree coming? And uh, that would, 
you know, that was not his question to ask. Furthermore, it was not within the purview of, of Arioch to even feel obligated to answer the question. But the Bible says that Arioch, who was the captain, made the thing known to Daniel. And so he says, well, pull up a chair and I'll explain to you what's going on. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Amen. Now here's what had happened. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, couldn't remember what the dream was, and so he needed someone to, to reveal the dream. And Daniel says, if you'll just give me time, just give us time. And then in verse 25, the Bible says, then Arioch brought, brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, he said, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. So here is a man who maybe somewhat in haste and in anger said, that's it. And we'll talk about how he arrived at that point in just a moment. But he said, we're just gonna slay everybody. We're gonna kill them all. But God anointed Daniel in that moment. And that is the point of our study that God can anoint us at the most critical moment if we refuse to be thrown about with the shifting winds and the tide of our season. And though the season may be uncertain, I say to you today that God can and God will anoint us. He will quicken our heart and quicken our mind. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream that was so horrific that it woke him up. When he woke up, he, the problem was that he couldn't remember the dream. He knew that it was a dream and he knew that it was a serious dream, a horrible dream, but and, and an, an important dream, if I, if I may add. And it was something that he needed to do something about. Anxious to know what the dream was all about, he called together his magicians, he called together the astrologers, the priests, who were known as Chaldeans. And he wanted the wise men to come in and tell him not just to interpret a dream, but he couldn't remember the dream, so he just calls these wise men and says, I need you to tell me what I dreamed last night. And so it's not, not hard for us to kind of put ourselves in that position. That'd be pretty serious if you're talking to a man that's somewhat a maniac. He wanted his, his wise men to tell them the dream, and then I want you to tell me the meaning of the dream. And they assembled, but they horribly missed the point of what this gathering is all about. So the wise men said, O king, live forever. Tell the servants the dream. Tell us what you dreamed about, and we will show you the interpretation. And, uh, and the king at this point had to remind them that the thing, his words were, the thing is gone from me, or the dream is gone from me. Anybody ever had a dream that you couldn't remember the next day? <laughs> A good dream or a bad dream. That can be a frustrating thing. I've had dreams that woke me up. Good dreams and bad dreams that woke me up. And I, you know, I, I will just confess here that sometimes I've just thought if I just lay still here a minute, maybe I'll remember this. Maybe it'll come back to me. So I, I feel like that I can, I'm not alone here today. It sounds like that I feel like we can relate to this moment in time in, in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. But he went on to say, when, when they said, if you'll tell us what the dream is, then we'll know uh, what it is. But he reminded them, this thing is gone from me. And then he said this, if you will not make known unto me the dream and the interpretation thereof, 
ye shall be cut into pieces and your houses shall be made a, a dunghill. In other words, if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I'm going to totally annihilate you. I think that would be quite a motivator. And the very thought of being dead is an end result. They were motivated to come up with something if, so they could think of nothing. The only thing they could do, think to do was apparently just repeat what they said. They said, let the king tell the servants of dreams and we will show you the interpretation. They're woefully missing the point and they have no idea how to measure the madness that's in the heart of this man. Nebuchadnezzar was now beginning to see through the facade of the lies of the men that he had trusted to give him spiritual insight or insight to some spiritual realm. He realized that these men are no more than phony. They're like the palm readers of today. It would have been much easier for them if they had just known the dream. At that point, you could just make something up. You could just do something to soften the palate of, of the man who needs to know. For sure, I believe they could have come up with something that would have defused the situation, but they had nothing to build on. So in desperation, they said, and I'm just gonna summarize Daniel 2 and 10 and 11. They said to the king, there is not a man on the earth that can show the king's matter. He said, they went on to say, this is a rare thing that you're requiring of us. I mean, there's not anybody that could do this. This is an, an uh, off the chart request and there is none that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not in the flesh. Now this reply proved to be the final straw. They had already repeated the same thing twice and now they're saying, you've asked of us the impossible. There's no one in flesh that can do this. Maybe there is a God that can do this but this is beyond the purview of man. This infuriated the king and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. That included Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. With that, Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, and this was our text, was sent out to obey the king's command. But when he got to Daniel and his friends, something powerful happened. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. I will tell you that the spirit of a man goes before a man. I believe that God can go before us in situations. Amen, I pause in our text to underscore the phrase that Daniel answered him with counsel and with wisdom. He didn't meet, uh, he did not meet chaos with chaos. He didn't meet fury with fury. He didn't meet panic with panic. Where should the church be today? We shouldn't be in the same mental state the rest of the world is in. We shouldn't be in the same spiritual state that the rest of the world is in. Another translation of that verse says that he answered with wisdom and with tact. Last Sunday, I spoke about how Daniel handled himself and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they handled themselves before the king and how important it was that they spoke peaceably about the things. They were challenged to have the king's diet. They said, we refuse the king's diet but they didn't just refuse the king's diet. They gave a proposal of a special diet. At the end of 10 days, if there's a difference, then we'll reconsider. But God blessed them and God not only honored their faith in him, but I'm gonna be bold today and tell you I believe that God honored the way they approached the situation. 
And it wasn't gonna be the last time that God would honor someone being reasonable and anointed of the Lord. It's important that we know how to deal with situations. In doing so, God, I believe, can grant us divine favor, which is exactly what I see happening in this passage. And so when he spoke to Ariot peaceably, he diffused a critical situation. Here was the man who came to execute them. They're, they're speaking to the executioner and I believe that when Daniel asked the question, why has the king made this decision with such haste, this was nothing more than just a divine delay that God was just gonna move in this situation and this circumstance. And so here is the chief executioner, Ariok, and he explains how all this came about. Now, I believe it's important to note that Ariot was not sent there to explain to them. He didn't have to do that. He had the authority to just have them executed. And by, by violating the king's orders and not just going there and executing them, he risked his own life. But the officers of the palace understood something. They had been watching these four men. They had been watching these four men. They had been watching how God had placed his hand upon their life. There was something different about them. They had conducted themselves uh, very admirably during some difficult seasons of their life and now God was allowing the dividends of that to come home. Ariot allowed Daniel time to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Not only did he tell him what's going on, Daniel said, I'd like to have an audience with the king. Would you let me have just a few minutes that we can sit down? All of this was unheard of. He, Ariot didn't have to hear him, much less did Nebuchadnezzar have to hear them. I believe the king had to be surprised to know that Daniel wanted to see him, but I believe that apparently something was already being unloosened in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he remembered these four men and how they conducted themselves. He meant how they were superior to the other men's lives who was also in, in danger. And so maybe he thought, why would I kill the best counselors just because I've got a few people on the team that are incompetent? And so God made a divine divide and he separated these men out from all of the other men and everybody there recognized there's something different about these men. I, I hope you understand that I am not just aiming to talk about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego today, but I believe that God can put a divine line and a divine distinction upon the church today, and the world can see there's something distinctly different about these people. Amen, there's something different about this Holy Ghost thing. There's something different about this, the, the power of God that's at work in their lives. And so by faith, Daniel promised to show the king his dream and the interpretation. And Daniel had faith that God would answer his prayer. So he asked Nebuchadnezzar for time. I wanna pray about this. And so according to Daniel 2, verses 17 through 19, again, I'm gonna paraphrase this. Daniel went to his companions and let them know what they were facing. This is a serious situation. We need God or we're all gonna be dead. It's just that simple. Amen. In verse 18, the Bible says that they trusted the mercies of God that they would not perish. Somehow they didn't just rest in the words of Daniel, but they rested in the word of the Lord. They trusted the mercy of God. Hallelujah. How many times have we ever had to find ourselves trusting the mercies of God? In verse number 19, the Bible says that the that the uh, the secret or the dream of Nebuchadnezzar was revealed unto Daniel in a night vision 
Or the Lord gave Daniel a dream about the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Amen. <coughs> Throughout the book, Daniel and his friends <coughs> are presented as men of faith and they're presented as men of prayer. They were far from home. They're being held captive against their will. They were in far less than ideal circumstances. And so how are they going to conduct themselves? What are they going to do? I mean, they could say, hey, I've got problems of my own, Nebuchadnezzar. I've got, I've got situations that I can't find an answer to my own self. But they understood something, that there was a man that had gone before them. Aren't you thankful for those that have gone before us? I would submit to you today that we don't even know all of the names that we should call and think in prayer of those that have gone before us. I want to talk to you about this man that went before them. You might think at first when I mention his name that he has in no way connected or related to the circumstance at hand. But God had a man by the name of Solomon that was born through the most adverse and unusual circumstances. But Romans 8 and 28, God was going to use all things for his glory. And God had a man by the name of Solomon. And Solomon was moved on by the Lord to build a temple unto the, house, unto the name of the Lord and in the honor of the Lord. And when Solomon built the temple, if you've read about the building of Solomon's temple, you know that it was an extremely elaborate building, the, the structure in and of itself. But the greatest thing that happened to, the Sol, to Solomon's temple or the temple of the Lord that Solomon built was not the gold and the silver, the architectural design. Those weren't the greatest things. The greatest thing that happened is when Solomon said, now we are done, the last nail is driven, everything is in place, and now we're gonna pray and we're gonna dedicate this building unto the Lord. And in 1 Kings, we can read about this. Whenever he began to pray a prayer of dedication, he didn't just pray that God would bless the hinges to last. He didn't just pray that God would just bless and keep everybody safe that was there and preserve the integrity of the building. But Solomon in his wisdom reached beyond the temple that day and he said, Lord, if there are those that can't get back here to pray a prayer of repentance, if there are those that are in distress and they can't walk through these doors, I'm just asking you, God, to let there be such an anointing on this house that if they in their distress will just turn toward this house that you will hear their prayer if they just turn toward Jerusalem and this temple. Amen. I'm going to tell you that God heard the prayer of Solomon that day and God honored that he said I am asking you that anyone will, that will look toward the temple look toward Jerusalem that you'll hear their prayer. So now we're going to jump back into the pages of Daniel. Daniel says, here's what we're going to do. We are going to turn ourselves toward Jerusalem. We are going to pray a prayer because if not, if God doesn't come through, our lives are over. This is it. Amen. Daniel knew where to turn and he knew where to aim. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the examples of prayer in my life. Of people, I'm not just talking about prayer, corporate prayer at church. I'm not talking about times that we may 
pray, amen, when we are together. But I'm talking about knowing where to turn, knowing how to pray. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the anointing word, the anointed word of God, and I'm thankful for examples of prayer. I don't know how many people in our lives, but for us, I'm not just talking about Bible characters, but I don't know how many people in our lives have prayed such prayers, prayers that built bridges, prayers that cast mercy our way, prayers that gave us grace for a season. Thank God, amen. Thank God for those who know how not to just lay hands on the sick and believe God for healing in a moment, but I'm thankful for intercessory prayers that people know how to pray a prayer to build a bridge that gaps and the span, the chasm, the divide often that exists in the lives of men and women. The word secret is used eight times in this passage of scripture. It's equivalent to the Greek word that, that we would use to derive the word mystery. And so when we think about the word mystery as compared to the word secret, but them both being joined some eight times in this passage, the word secret is mentioned, but in the New Testament, the same word to which we arrive at the word mystery is used 28 times. It means, the word mystery in the New Testament means a hidden truth that is revealed only to the initiated. A hidden truth that is revealed only to the initiated. I'm gonna tell you today that I believe that God still moves and functions and operates just like he did in the book of Daniel. I believe that God still speaks and that men and women still hear from God. With all of my heart, I believe that, I know that to be emphatically true. God had hidden a prophetic truth in a dream, but he enabled his servant, Daniel, to know both the dream and the interpretation of the dream and to understand God's plan. God had Daniel in this position all along. Hallelujah. James 5 and 16 says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm thankful for the righteous people that have been in my life, that are in my life. Amen. That people that don't just pray a prayer that are babbling words, but I'm thankful to know people that pray effective prayers. Amen. I, I'm going to tell you, I believe we all know those people that we trust. And when something goes awry in our lives, we call on them because they know these people know how to pray and get a hold of God. Amen. If your automobile is nearly totaled in an accident, you don't want to go to somebody that's always wanted to be a body repairman. You don't want to just go to somebody who says, that's my life's dream. Today we Google them, see how many stars are by there. Their name. We read the replies, the responses. We we do a little bit of research. I hope you do a little bit of research and find out people that have real life experiences. And if someone has some real life experiences, that feedback is important. That's why when people buy you buy something online, people want you to give them feedback. That's what builds the foundation and drives their business forward. When they handle the situation right, they want the world to know why. Because they want somebody to be able to speak. They want somebody to be able to speak positively because irrespective of how many billions of dollars are spent on advertisement today, the truest form is word of mouth. The truest form is experience. Amen. And so I want 
I want a righteous person praying. I want somebody that, that not that person that's always wanted to start a prayer life. I thank you for that and you just continue on. But today, I need somebody that's got a track record. I need somebody with corn in the crib. I need somebody that has something to show for it. Daniel's first response was to bless the Lord for, for hearing and answering their petitions and they asked for wisdom. And just like James said in, in chapter one, they asked for wisdom and God granted them that wisdom. God's hand, his mighty hand stopped the execution and gave these four men time to pray. Now little did these pagan wise men know that had been just dancing before the king previously that, their very, that the very presence of these Hebrews in Babylon was the only thing that was sparing them. I don't know, I, wanna, I don't want you to think I'm being arrogant when I say this, but I am being truthful and I feel confident in what I'm about to say, but there is no telling where this world would be right now if the church wasn't still here. Amen, the church I believe is a grace. I believe the church is mercy on this planet right now, amen. And so while we think, Lord, I wish you would come this afternoon and carry us away, I want you to understand that the world is not gonna be the same when the church is raptured off of this earth, amen. Your presence on that job, your presence in your family, your presence against opposition right now may be the very thing that is the prayer of petition. It may be the very thread in the window of the harlot. You remember the story. You know what I'm talking about. Little did these men know that it was these four Hebrew men that were prisoners, that were captive against their will, but it was them that was shining the grace of God and the mercy of God. The God of heaven is also a God of history and he can set chains and set times rather. He can, he can allow chains and he sets the times that are allotted to rulers. The Bible talks about setting men up and taking them down. Nebuchadnezzar understood this well, and that's why he understood the dream that I have is a very dark dream, and I need to look into this. Not unlike the glory cloud that stood between the Egyptians in Exodus 14, that stood between the children of Israel and the Egyptian army. Daniel included his three friends in his song of praise because they shared the burden of prayer with him and later he would share the honor with them. Now, I'm, I'm going to, it looks like I have to really hurry up here, amen. But, but here's, here's our lesson today. I said all that to say, oh, it's quite a long introduction, wasn't it? I just looked at the time and my page number count. They're conflicting right now, I'll tell you. When God's people face a crisis, we need to follow the example of Daniel and take the matter to the Lord in prayer. You see, faith living is not scheming. Faith living is not trying to resolve it ourselves. Real faith brings glory to God. David said, I, I, I call up the Lord said in, David said of the Lord in Psalms 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Amen. Daniel said, the secret which hath the, the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But Daniel did not stop there. Daniel said, what the king is asking for, all of these soothsayers and these magicians, they can't answer the king. That's verse 27. But verse 28 
Daniel said, but there is a God in heaven <laughs> that revealeth secrets and make known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. What man cannot do, this is what Daniel was trying to say, what man cannot do, there is a God in heaven that can cover it. There is a God in heaven that can. And from that point, Daniel told the king what he had dreamed in the interpretation of the dream. Daniel, is, here's the point. Daniel was operating in the gift that God had given him. And this is, is, uh, this is the, the genesis of our study today. We are gifted for greatness. That's what Brother Toby Royal said a moment ago, that God has gifted the church for greatness. He's not gifted us for mediocrity. God has not gifted us to just get by, but God has gifted the church for greatness. Hallelujah. And so here's the central point of our study. We must act in faith and operate in the gifts that God has given us. Now I'm gonna leap ahead to the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter four. The scripture says, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he said this, verse 11, he kind of gets it boiled down. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but he gets it boiled down. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him, let him do it as of the ability. Are you with me now? As of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, there are several points that I want to make from these verses. First, I believe that everybody has received a gift from God. Secondly, some of these gifts include speaking like prophecy and teaching and exhortation or the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge or tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Thirdly, I believe that some gifts are characterized by ministry and if I could just define ministry for you, ministry is serving, not being served, but serving. So serving ministries. Now, this is not, again, an, ex an exhaustive list, but I believe that serving ministries include ministry, giving, ruling. The Bible talks about the gift of mercy. My goodness. Some people say, I want to be a missionary. I want to be an evangelist. I want to be the pastor of a mega church. I wish somebody would pray, oh, Lord, just use me in the gift of mercy. Amen. The gift of healing, miracles, discerning spirits, apostles, helps, governments, and pastors. Now, this doesn't mean that those who have primarily a speaking gift are not serving, nor does it mean that those who have a serving gift will never speak when using their gift, because some gifts, of course, may involve both. both. But it does mean that gifts have a primary way of expressing themselves. And so please, please hear me because we are at the crux of the matter. For instance, the gift of teaching will generally be exercised by speaking, but there may be other outlets for the gift of teaching, like writing or singing or in other ways. The gifts given by the Spirit exist in amazing combinations, various combinations, but each of them all complement the other. As it relates to our study this morning, we must identify the gifts that God has given us and then we must act in faith to exercise those gifts. So what we've been talking about today has been massaging our mind and our heart all around one point 
and that point brings to the surface a question. And that question is this, how are we to discover our own individual gifts? If we are all gifted for something to use in the kingdom of God, then how, we, how are we to discover these gifts? I believe that Philippians 2.13 has a key for us here. The Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So here's what we take away from that. There are two ideas here, that God gives all of us desires. That is the will. He gives us a desire. And then he gives us abilities, and that is the doing part. And so of that scripture, God worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God puts a desire in our heart, and then God puts the ability in our heart in our heart and life as well. Now, there are three clues as to what God has gifted each of us to do. And so the first thing we would start at is what is your desire to do or what gifts interest you? I, I rarely think that God would just ever call somebody to do something they hate. God is gonna pave that path first with desire. He's gonna create a desire in you and that is gonna be of interest to you. And then the second thing is our abilities. What are you able to do? Now, I understand the philosophy of people saying to someone, you can be anything, that, you know, but that's not really accurate. <laughs> I'll just ignore this resistance that I feel and move on. <laughs> but we're not all gifted to do anything. We're gifted to do some things. If you're interested in a gift, but you're unable to exercise in that gift, that's probably not the gift that God has caused you to do. If you're interested in singing, let me just put it this way. If you're interested in singing, but you're tone deaf, probably not going to be an area that you excel in. And a lot of people that are tone deaf love to sing. And the reason we know that is because they sing louder than everybody in between the keys. Right? <laughs> well, I must move on again. The same spirit of resistance. If you're interested in a gift and you think you're exercising in that gift, but others have not recognized it, that's also probably not your gift. Because here's the bottom line, that whatever your gift is or whatever your gifts may be, you're not going to be the only one who knows it. Somebody around you is going to recognize that gift in you. And they're going to know it long before you announce it. They're going to know it long before you talk about it. They're going to know it long before you even operate in it because there's going to be a natural, organic moving of that gift. There are specific things that you must do in order to make that happen. Number one, we can't neglect the gift. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Neglect not the gift that is in you that was given to thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Of the presbytery. So the Holy Spirit is not going to force gifts to work. So he said, you know, don't neglect the gift. Don't overlook it. So you're going to have to let the Spirit just lay something in your heart. But remember, God's not going to force that because they're gifts. God, God is not going to just throw a gift at you. Therefore, uh, they're there. They're waiting for you to yield to the Spirit. But it is possible for us to grieve the Spirit by resisting the promptings of God. So God can have a gift that you're aware of, but you won't go in and get that gift 
And if you don't go claim that gift, you're never going to receive the benefit of the gift. Consequently, you're going to rob others that will not receive the benefit of your gift. And then secondly, Paul said you need to stir up that gift in 2 Timothy 1 and 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. You got to stir up that gift. So how, how then do we, do we stir up the gift? I believe we stir the gift by yielding ourselves to the promptings of the Spirit. Amen. And so every time we walk in obedience to what God is calling us to do, we stir, we stir the gift. And we act upon that. We do what God is calling us to do. And the more you do what God has called you to do, if you're in his will, the better you become at that. And the more confident, the more sure, not arrogant and pompous, but the more confident you get at that. Some years ago, I um, was attending the funeral of a person that I was merely acquainted with. And um, so it was going to be, I, I presumed, it was going to be a casual setting. It was a, a funeral in a funeral home, a funeral in a funeral home I had never even been in, although it, although it was somewhat, at least in the North Florida region. So I walked in that day just to simply comfort the family and the friends who had gathered. I was sitting on the front row waiting for the service to begin when one of the family members who had already greeted me and we had talked just a few minutes, I was maybe about 15 minutes early for the service, about five minutes before the service, they sat down and they just leaned over and they said, now what's going to happen? And they began with this kind of the service schedule and uh, this, this person's going to sing, this person's going to say something like some personal comments and it's at that point we'll turn the service over to you. <laughs> Could you say that one more time, just a little bit slower? And so I didn't realize, but I was the main speaker. Just let that marinate just a moment. The building was full, total strangers for the most part. And I said, Lord, I need you to help me. This is not the time to debate. Nobody called me. This is not the time to say, I'm hearing about this for the very first time. It was just time to do the right thing. Not get up and say, well, I just found out about this five minutes ago. It wasn't that poor person we were bidding farewell to. It wasn't their fault. And so I said, Lord, help me to say something that can be meaningful. You have to sometimes just stir the gift. And in a moment of time, I didn't have a piece of paper to write anything down. I didn't have anything to go on. And I am a person that kind of likes an outline and a plan. Clearly don't always follow it, but, <laughs> but we stir that gift. But it wasn't the first day that I'd stirred the gift. I'm not boasting, I'm just testifying that when God 
places. You, you see, the Lord knew all of that. Would have been kind of cool if he had whispered in my ear about halfway there. Some little warning. <laughs> but no. But God anointed for that moment and hopefully we bless their family. Stir the gift. Use the gift. When God gives you the gift, you may not be at North American Youth Congress with 37,000 people in attendance. You might just be in a nursing home. You may be in a hospital room. You may be in a break room on your job, but stir the gift because you have it. Amen. Let's stand together. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.